0: When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what
1: course are we on? Bet the board. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean I don't bet. You know I don't. Yeah, I don't. I never have. I never will. Yeah, right. I bet you twenty bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. You owe me fifteen grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man
0: his money. It's the Bet the Board podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where
2: I started. I could still pick winners. And I could still make money for all kinds of people back home. And why mess up a good thing? Here's Payne Insider and Todd
1: Furman. Welcome into the Bet the Board podcast. NFL Week 17, the final Bet the Board podcast of calendar year 2022. Playoff races out in full force. Not a lot of marquee matchups in terms of win-loss record on the docket this week, but plenty of high-stakes implications. I am your host, Todd Furman joined, as always, by my esteemed colleague and co-host, the one, the only, Pain Insider. Pain, I want to know, after college yesterday, were you able to rest your voice, and are the vocal cords on point, or were you officially listed as questionable on today's injury report?
2: Fighting through it. Somehow, there was a part of yesterday's podcast where I was talking, and just nothing was coming out. My voice just went kaput early on, but feels a little bit better. Did some some warm drinks last night and hopefully that helps.
1: Name of the game. Tea with honey is the uh, best anecdote for any ailments out there for those folks that work in a profession that have to lean on their voice. Five big games for us to get to. A little bit of spoiler as far as our loyal listenership is concerned. We made an executive decision coming into this week that Titans and Cowboys, despite being the final game on Amazon Thursday Night Football, didn't warn an in-depth breakdown. We're not exactly sure who's going to be out there for the Titans if this game will look like nobody a glorified (laughs) preseason more than anything else and we'll of course give the titans their due diligence when they play for a right to win the afc south next week against the jacksonville jaguars but speaking of futility especially in a
2: very well i'll just we'll we'll give a nugget very sharp money very sharp money under Dak passing attempts then I'll let you lead us to the promised land of our next
1: game. The biggest question is, will Dak be out there for 50% of the snaps, or will we see the Cowboys <laughs> rest all their starters at halftime? Different discussion for a different day. Uh, but when you talk about the AFC South, we know the battle going on there between the Jags and Titans. The NFC South mired in mediocrity in their own right, and of course, the division will take center stage down there on the Gulf Coast in Tampa, where it's the Bucs, a field goal favorite welcoming in the Carolina Panthers. The first meeting between these teams earlier this Year, Carolina absolutely dismantled Tampa winning outright as a double-digit underdog, the largest underdog this year to win a game outright. Total sits at 40 and a half. And as far as the playoff pass in the NFC South are concerned, the Bucks win. They secure passage to the postseason. A Carolina win puts them in control of their own destiny. They would need a win next week at New Orleans to be able to make that happen. And when you talk about that first meeting, I mean the Panthers outrushed the Bucks 173 to 46. It was their first first game after trading Christian McCaffrey, and when everyone thought the team was just going to lie down for the remainder of the season, it actually served as an inflection point. When you look at Tom Brady, he is only been swept by a divisional opponent twice in his entire career against the Saints in 2020 and 2021. Uh, We'll see if history repeats itself for a third time. When you look at Tom Brady, his teams have outscored Sam Darnold's teams in the past, 112 12-20 in three matchups. That, of course, includes the Patriots' 33-0 win versus the Jets in 2019. The infamous I see ghosts from Sam Darnold in that performance. When you look at Carolina, their current form, they've covered five straight games as an underdog, five and four straight up. 7-2 7-2 ATS since that Christian McCaffrey trade. Meanwhile, Tampa, they have been the model of futility. 1-11-1 ATS in their past 13 games, the worst in the NFL, failing to cover five straight. It's actually the worst cover percentage in a season at 21% since the 2014 Tennessee Titans. Payne, I don't want to oversimplify the handicap, but when you look at Carolina last week, we saw them bludgeon Detroit at the point of contact. They ran over, around, and through. That Lions defense that was down to Sean Elliott, hat tip to uh, our boy Wato 5 who highlighted Carolina as being a live underdog in the Bet the Board weekly column. But is it as straightforward if Carolina can run the football, they get out of Tampa with a win, and if Carolina stops them on the ground, they'll do enough offensively against the Carolina defense down its top cover corner in J.C. Horn? Yeah,
2: I think that's, that's probably a, a good start, you know, and I, I think the other interesting part here that no one's talking about, but we've understood it quietly behind the scenes is Sam Darnold's playing at a pretty good level. I mean, Carolina isn't asking him to throw a ton. To your point, it's it's about the run game. Carolina's pass rate is 14% below expectation with Darnold in the lineup, but when he is throwing, he's really pushing it down the field, and that's creating some space in the ground game because teams know that they have to defend intermediate and deep passes, and he's just stressing defenses downfield, and if you look, Darnold, number one in EPA plus completion percentage over expectations since taking over in week 12 among quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks and that's carried over to team success. The Panthers have the most efficient passing attack when adjusting for schedule over that same stretch, but ultimately t- to your main point in question, Carolina's run game is the key factor. It's it's really been better since trading away Christian McCaffrey. And if you look on the season first six weeks with CMC, Carolina's 20th in schedule adjusted rush efficiency. But what is surprising to me, without CMC... Sixteenth, And I think that will shock people because the perception is Carolina's ground game has been dominant. And it was last week against the Lions, who had really been stopping the run the past four to six weeks. The week prior against Pittsburgh, Carolina couldn't get anything going. And so that's the interesting component here is – because Carolina has, you know, a ton of swings from game to game that their their metrics aren't screaming massive improvement on the ground. But again, right, like 320 against the Lions defense that's been stout last week, and then they're running for 21 yards and a 9% success rate against the Steelers run defense, who had kind of shown some some vulnerabilities there, specifically against, against Baltimore in that Week 14 matchup. I know the Buccaneers are hoping Vita V can play. The practice report shows – he logged a light practice Wednesday but um I was told no one actually saw Vita Vey out there yesterday. He might have so. been at
1: the team's cafeteria <laughs> <He would go. laughs> pain. You never know if he's out there still, all right? <laughs> I mean, it's is, it is what it is. It's easy to miss a 330 pounds <laughs> defensive lineman.
2: So, you know, Tampa's run defense has has slipped a, a touch, right? It's not just Vita Vey with the with the calf injury. You know, you're down Shaq Barrett, you've had some guys beat up along the defensive line. I know Arizona wasn't necessarily overly efficient running it, but James Conner had a couple nice runs there. And you had situations where, like, Hicks is lining up at defensive end and, and crashing down into the middle and making plays. But, like, why is he lining up at defensive end? It's because they're a little bit beaten along that defensive line. But oddly, still above average in schedule adjusted rush efficiency since the week 11 bye for Tampa and you know the first time they played each other back in week 7 maybe Tampa was caught off a little guard with that new running scheme and style you know going from CMC to the uh, two headed back with, with Chuba and Deontay Foreman so I think what's what's really interesting and, and we can, I don't know if we want to transition to the other side quickly, I'll let you do that or we just shoot straight to it. Um, but I just, I, I think as you kind of build this game out and try to make a case for either side it's just hard to ignore you know the line movement when you couple it with the injury report and you know a week ago this is this is Buccaneers minus seven There was even a couple of spots showing seven and a half and so this is one of the largest week over week movements of the entire season it's four four and a half points you know through the the second largest key number now sitting on the most important one and there's no quarterback change i mean back in week 7 tampa's laying 13 and a half in carolina and i know these teams are a little bit different now and and no doubt carolina beat the buccaneers handling that that week 7 matchup but I just don't know how you get to this price and it looks like Tampa has a chance to be healthier along the O-line. Donovan Smith and Tristan Worf's practice on Wednesday. You had Pro Bowl center Ryan Jensen was was out there practicing and doing blocking drills. Let's see if he plays Tampa opened that 21-day window and teams are actually treating that a little differently this season. Typically like, oh, he can start practicing we're going to open it. This season they've been waiting a little bit longer for players to almost be healthy enough to play before opening that window. So some. Somehow you get Wirfs, Smith, and Jensen up. like That's huge for the Bucks' offense. And then for Carolina, we know their starting corner, Dante Jackson's been out. Now J.C. Horn, one of the best cover corners in the league, is out. Carolina signed Josh Norman back this week. They think he might be able to get a couple snaps in there. Shaq Thompson found himself on the injury report with a hamstring injury. We know how quirky those can be. And so for me, the question becomes, Like, will Byron Leftwich smartly navigate this with more early down passing. You have to be able to attack Carolina through the air on the season 24th and schedule adjusted pass defense and their top two corners are now down. And you look at Tampa in terms of efficiency on the season on first down, ninth in passing efficiency, 31st in rushing efficiency. So the smart game plan is is crystal clear here for the Buccaneers. It's just a matter of actually getting Byron Leftwich to go out and execute the smart plan and if they do with this short price it's tough not to make a case for Tampa here at this number.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. Ryan Jensen, though, I'd be stunned if he was out there given some of Todd Bowles' comments, talking about how he's still not nowhere close to playing, but we've seen this smoke and mirrors uh, work in the past for a lot of these coaches in the NFL. The Josh Norman story, fascinating. Read some of those details. He said he was working in a coffee shop, actually across the street from Cam Newton's Cigar Bar uh, in Atlanta. said he really enjoyed being a barista because he felt it was a mindless activity that allowed him to be at peace with himself. And here he is being thrust into the thick of a playoff race. We know he can provide a little bit of energy, but was obviously a shell of himself. <laughs> the, the last time we saw him on a football field. I did not read that. Yeah, it was pretty good. I'll have to try and dig up the article. I,
2: I, uh, they did because it. Because that's, that's what I've depicted to you. Like, when I'm done. I'm done. Like, I'm just going somewhere far away hey, and I, just doing something stupid.
1: Let me tell you, as someone who was a barista, as an assistant manager of a Starbucks at 18 years old in Burlington, Vermont, there are times it's a little stressful. I'm not sure you're built for customer service, because if you don't make someone's caramel well, macchiato <laughs> exactly the way they well, want it, they can get a little bit enraged at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but yes, there's a lot to be said about the service industry and instead of being glued to checking <laughs> emails and everything else. So I don't want this to sound like a negative for a lot of our listeners that are out there. Uh, but a fast fascinating story, obviously, given all the money that Norman made in the NFL. That's what he chose to do after when you thought broadcasting was most likely going to be the avenue for him. As far as Tampa's <laughs> offense, real quick, I mean, you mentioned it, 12.3 fewer points per game this season compared with last season. It's actually the largest decline by any team since the 75-76 Bills who finished 12 and a half points worse than they did the preceding year. Uh, when you look at third down conversions, nothing to write home about. And, and I think you highlighted the key issue. Will Tampa be aggressive enough to go out there attack on early down? When you look at the no huddle offense, I've kind of called it no nonsense. Ninth in EPA, play with no huddle, and 29th without this season. You look at Brady, 11 passing touchdowns in the fourth quarter compared to just 10 through the first three quarters, and they've won three games when trailing by seven plus points in the fourth quarter, tied for the second most in the NFL. So they've shown it in flashes. You just like to see it sustained over the course of four quarters. And for Tampa, for everything that's gone wrong during the regular season, a win on Sunday, and suddenly you get a new lease on life.
2: They've shown it when they've been forced to And they're wildly efficient doing it Imagine if they actually didn't when the team didn't know you had to do it. Yeah. Right. On the opening like, series, When the defense of the game, didn't know you, <laughs> you had to do it, right? You'd probably be even more efficient using it.
1: How much easier life could be. But to Tampa's credit, they at least showed flashes of having offensive competency in the first half against the Bengals. Just couldn't execute in the second half. But an interesting game, uh, mainly for, like you said, the number that has over adjusted, arguably given one extra data point Carolina dominating Detroit and Tampa, of course, needing to go to overtime to knock off the much maligned Arizona Cardinals. The Dolphins and Patriots pain. We've seen major movement on this game as well, obviously because the availability or lack thereof for Miami's starting quarterback. New England, a field goal favorite. There are plenty of soft threes throughout the market. Total on the game, 41 and a half. Miami, they've beaten New England four straight times. They've defeated the Patriots 20-7 to in week one at home. It was actually 92 degrees at kickoff. It was the hottest outdoor NFL game since 2019. Ironically enough, that was also the Dolphins' best defensive performance of the entire season. Miami has made their path to the playoffs much more convoluted than it needed to be. They get in with a win and a Jets loss. Meanwhile, in New England, they went out. They find themselves dancing again. Obviously, week 18, they have the Buffalo Bills and a trip to Orchard Park, waiting in their future we can talk about x's and o's we can try and break down some of the matchups here but i think the number more than anything else is the most fascinating part because the betting market pain is telling me that Tuataga Vailoa being out is a six point downgrade when he hands the baton to the veteran in teddy bridgewater
2: yeah that's that's roughly what it's saying right i mean the dolphins open two and a half point favorite we've now gravitated towards new england plus 3 obviously going through the zero not huge but but landing on that 3 you know roughly 6 points in, in numerical value there and so that becomes the ultimate question and we know how well Tua was playing through large stretches of this season how valuable he was to the Dolphins but I don't think we get to a 6 point adjustment when we go down to Teddy Bridgewater and I think when you look at Teddy when you look at his skill set The one thing that's been lacking from Miami's passing offense is the short pass attack. And I think Teddy's going to be a little bit more willing to check that thing down, to find the underneath receiver, to not incessantly hunt the deep ball. And this will be a game plan actually tailored to Bridgewater because you think about his performances this season within the offense, and he played really well at Cincinnati, but he got thrown into the fire, and that was, I believe, a short week Thursday night game. And then he comes in versus Minnesota in a game that was tailored for for Skylar Thompson. The one game plan that was actually tailored for Teddy was the Jets game, and he left after the first snap. So um, I, I think he might have some success here. And then you start to focus on the Patriots' secondary injuries. Have to monitor those. Jack Jones, Marcus Jones, Jalen Mills, all DNPs on Wednesday. I think the other thing that you have to look for here is obviously how Teddy handles pressure. Getting the ball out quick, right? Getting that short pass game going will make a lot of sense because the Patriots are certainly getting pressure on the quarterback still. It's the best element of their defense top three in pressure rate. And then just quickly on the other side, the the way you have to attack the Dolphins because they're very vulnerable through the air is that really what New England can do right now? It would certainly be a a change from what we've seen, right? I mean, New England's 25th in schedule-adjusted pass efficiency. Mac Jones has not performed overly well, especially of late. And if you you strip out the deflected Hail Mary in the fourth quarter against the Bengals, they've been very, very poor Good
1: for By the way, good for Jacoby Myers being on the right end of one of those things, even though it didn't help them win the football (laughs) game. But good to see the universe balance itself out.
2: Yeah, so I mean that that ultimately becomes the way that you have to attack the Dolphins and then the things that we've continued to talk about because I feel like we've broken down every single Dolphins game for about five weeks now. You know, you got to get Ramondre Stevenson and Hunter Henry involved in the pass game, right? Running backs tight ends. That's how you how you focus your passing game. But Maybe that that helps Mac Jones, but certainly pushing the ball downfield, he hasn't been great doing that. We've seen Miami been able to enhance their pressure rate, top five, in that regard since the acquisition of Bradley Chubb. So this very much, to me, is a situation where now that we are at, three, you're going to see a little bit of a differing of opinion. Would not shock me to see professional money come in, grab the Dolphins at that price of three, and we close somewhere at two and a half. Now, let's not get it twisted, right? It's all about market entry. There was a group that came in early this week, got out ahead probably an hour before the news actually broke on two and took two with the Patriots but it's just a far different conversation we said here Thursday morning talking Dolphins plus three and I believe ultimately we're going to close below that number
1: and you mentioned Ramondre Stevenson when you look at his recent run of form we back out the Raiders game he's averaged under three yards per carry in two of his last three games the Bengals did a phenomenal job there Mac Jones did a lot of his damage in the second half and the Bengals were protecting a 22 nothing lead you talked about the big play on the deflected ball to ended up in Jacoby Myers hands a variety of other things that in inflated the stat line, leading to Mac Jones putting forth one of his better QBRs in recent weeks. And I'll go back to, you know, Teddy Bridgewater when you mentioned some of the games that he started. The Dolphins' defense didn't force a turnover in any of those three losses against the Bengals, the Jets, and the Vikings. The Dolphins had double-digit penalties against the Jets and Vikings the only two times it's actually happened this season. And let's also not ignore the fact that one of their building blocks along that offensive line that you highlight every time we talk about the Dolphins, Taron Armstead missed the last three-plus quarters against the Jets. We know Skylar Thompson was out there after Teddy Bridgewater left the game and the entire game against Minnesota. So there were other things other than just the change of quarterback that really impacted those final stat lines. Uh, I did like the optimism uh, in reading some of the comments from Dolphins players, specifically coming from Jeff Wilson, when asked about where the Dolphins felt they were. And I quote, Oh, we're a contender. We're a top dog, not only in this division or conference, but in the league. And obviously when your record and the wins and losses don't reflect that, it's frustrating because it's more so not only that we're good enough, it's things that are almost self-inflicted like we do it to ourselves so this is clearly a yeah. Dolphins team that hasn't lost belief in themselves and they're a fumble away last week against the Green Bay Packers with Raheem Mostert they're a player 2 away against the Bills let's see if they put it on full display here with so much still left to play for
2: that's what it almost feels like right is that we kind of marked this point in their season where we said hey Let's find out if they're for real. The schedule gets a little bit more difficult. And the overarching viewpoint was they failed miserably. And certainly you go out on the road and you play San Francisco. Well, Okay, I mean, that looks like the best team in football right now. It doesn't matter who's under center. I mean, we saw Kyle Shanahan whip up a fantastic game plan against an elite Washington defense last week and just ran rough shot in a team in a must win situation where they had very little to play for. So suddenly that law doesn't look as, as bad as it was. Now you get out schemed by by Brandon Staley. Sure. But man, the effort in Buffalo your third straight road game. After spending two weeks on the West Coast, you go to Buffalo and frigid temperatures and you're up 29 to 20. You just can't close the thing out. And then last week, you're at midfield, you're up 20 to 10, you're going in for a three score lead before halftime. Moser fumbles and you got a quarterback that plays with a concussion the back half of that game and, and, and you drop it. So there's been some nice flashes where at least the last two weeks, Miami's actually shown quite well despite the the viewpoint that they've just come crumbling down because of the schedule strength increasing.
1: Exactly right. And we talk about it all the time in this business. Sometimes you can learn a lot more about a team even at this level with 16 data points already in the bank, how they handle adversity and what they look like going forward. You can follow Payne on Twitter at Payne Insider. I'm Todd Furman. You, of course, can follow me there as well. Most importantly, as always, follow the podcast at bet the board pod and we mentioned the Dolphins pain but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention one of their division rivals a team they're competing for to crash the back half of the AFC playoff picture and that of course would be the New York Jets who will travel all the way out to the Pacific Northwest to take on the Seattle Seahawks with a change at quarterback and you've seen the market respond accordingly as a result the Seahawks actually opened as short home favorites we now see the Jets modest one and a half point road chalk total in the game 42 and a half it's the Geno Smith in the Pete Carroll revenge game of sorts. Gino, of course, drafted by the Jets in 2013. Pete Carroll let go as Jets head coach after just one season. Uh, and Pete Carroll on his weekly radio interview this week got, ended up in Seattle asked about Gino Smith and him getting up more for the game. I don't know if he gets up any more than I do. Pete said when he was laughing. I was there for a while, too. They sent me packing. Gino and I, we might ride this one out together. When you look at the Jets, they still need a little bit of help, but we know the locker room has rallied around Mike White. I don't expect him to go out there and look like the second coming of Patrick Mahomes or anybody else along those lines. But clearly, this is a Jets locker room galvanized by the change of quarterback, and they may have some matchup advantages on the outside against the Seahawks passing attack that's really struggled in recent weeks.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's very clear the Jets still have life. They weren't sure that would be the case after dumping the game Thursday night to Jacksonville, but the way things played out for the other teams that were kind of middling and in the playoff hunt, they just unfolded the right way. And The Jets are like, hey, all of a sudden we can win out and and have the Patriots lose or tie either game hosting Miami or at Buffalo and and we're in. And so it kind of regalvanized them with Mike White's addition back. He certainly brings a little more life and energy to the offense because guys guys believe in him. And you know, past that though, right? Looked like a million bucks against a Bears defense that's dead last in efficiency. The two games after that, you had the the comfy dome game against the below average Vikings defense and then in Buffalo with some weather, neither of those performances were, were anything to write home to mom about. Not great. To put Mike White's performance in perspective, right, uh, of quarterbacks this season with at least 100 dropbacks, he's QB 23 out of 47 in EPA plus completion percentage over over expectation. So not as good as the hype. Top half of the league, baby. Yeah, not, not as good. As as the New York media would, would leave you to believe, but certainly better than Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco who are QB forty two and forty four out of forty seven. So it is an upgrade. We've seen that in the market with the initial move on the Jets this week because everyone was getting out ahead of the inevitable Mike White news. So this open Jets plus two at Chris, favorite flipped, got out as high as Jets minus two and a half. And that's where we've we've seen resistance come in and we've settled that, you know, Jets minus two minus one and a half depending on where you shop there and there are respected guys i speak with that make seattle a favorite on a neutral still and seattle is still in the mix as well right i mean they're they're hosting both the jets and in the rams the next two weeks if seattle wins out they have nearly a 75 percent chance of making the playoffs with two wins so you're going to get an elite home field advantage with the 12th man here um now, specific to to like Mike White and some of the matchups, he's he's gonna throw the ball right. That's just kind of what they do. He's averaged more than forty five dropbacks in his three starts. Jets really haven't been able to run the football. Twenty eighth in schedule adjusted rush efficiency since week eight with Brees Hall and Elijah Tucker going down for the season. Now Seattle hasn't been stout against the run by any means, but it's it's not like the Jets have have faced tough run defenses to have these kinds of struggles but but maybe they try seattle isn't great defending the pass either to your point but you know you're, you're coming off games against kyle shanahan's offense and on the road against reed and patrick mahomes so this is just
1: a, a slight dip in How competition this Th- week i can't stand for this mike white slander here they're making him out to be the great white hope but i guess when you've had to watch zach wilson for a season and a half anything is an instant upgrade
2: well, that's that. That is the hope that he's the great white hope, and he's he's not uh, a contender for the remake of Samuel L. Jackson's The Great White Hype. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's it's it's. Mentioning, but I'm not sure who it favors, right? Mike LaFleur, the Jets offensive coordinator, previously spent time with with Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan and the 49ers have had great success moving it on some better Seattle defenses. So Mike LaFleur is is cognizant on on how to attack a Seattle defense. But in saying that, I mean, Seattle faced a better version of this offense like two weeks ago, right, on on Thursday Night Football. So I'm not quite sure who has the edge there, Todd, but uh, it's certainly worth mentioning.
1: Yeah, I mean, Coach uh, Sala pretty much said he's prepared for this environment. Sometimes them can be fighting words for the Seattle Seahawks fans who will be at full throat, but has tried to do everything he can to prepare himself for this kind of environment. So, so many fascinating aspects. mean, what do you make of Geno Smith's regression, or is this obviously just who Geno is as there's more and more tape on him?
2: It's a good question. I think, you know, the offense has, has started to trend downward since the trip to Germany. I don't know if the numbers are as bad as as people are making them out to be because if you look they're they're still an above average offense in efficiency so they haven't completely fallen off the cliff but Seattle was you know a top ten offense heading into that buccaneers game sounds like Tyler Lockett is at least pushing to return who knows how impactful he'll be there but it could be it could be huge just when you look at this matchup and what the Jets have done to opposing team's number one receiver. But yeah, I think Gino is obviously going to be motivated for this. And, and what does that mean, right? I mean, it, it's a playoff-like game. So does the level get above 100? We, we like to say no, but my feeling is, you know, Geno Smith probably isn't going out much this week. He's probably spending more time watching film. He's probably doing all the little things that, that help you prepare just a little bit better than you would if it were a, a different week. In saying that, right, like you just – you look at the weapons there – with Tyler Lockett down, with you know, some injuries to running back. I think that's partly why we've seen Gino slip just a little bit. But I mean that's that's going to be important this week because of what I just mentioned with the Jets being very good limiting teams opposing receivers that are that are number one, right? Top seven in target rate, yards per target and EPA per target allowed. So if DK Metcalf performs below expectation, having a guy like Tyler Lockett would be extremely helpful and I think we also have to keep an eye on on the starting tackle there. Abraham Lucas for Seattle left the Chiefs game early with a thigh injury, didn't practice on Wednesday. So keep that monitored. But to your point, kind of a fun matchup here with the narrative-based stuff with Pete and Geno and probably some level of added motivation. Maybe this week just means a little bit more. We'll see. But this is very much good on good, right? The the Jets have the best unit on the field in this game. They're still sixth in schedule-adjusted defense. They've played a very tough schedule of, of opposing offenses, actually the toughest in the NFL. I think Seattle will be smart to try and get their tight ends involved here. That's kind of been the one area where the Jets have been susceptible defensively, bottom eight, in both reception rate and yards allowed to the tight end position. Um, but ultimately, this this game becomes about price, and I think there's just wildly different viewpoints on what these two teams are from pro bettors, and, and that's been the reason for the the ping pong line movement. I don't necessarily, you know, want to be caught in that battle straight up. But with a playoff like game, you have this low total that's now trending to to forty one and a half, and you still have, you know plus two and one and a half in the market. Seattle's going to be a pretty popular teaser like among pro bettors this week.
1: Oh, nothing says playoff atmosphere like a Noah Fant and Will Disley game like we could see a full display from the Seahawks. I did find it interesting. <laughs> you mentioned Tyler Lockett, Pete Carroll and company were pretty open about it, saying that they really felt his absence against Kansas City, knowing that he is such a key cog in their ability to move the chains, especially as a third down guy. What I find more enigmatic than anything else, though, Pete Carroll indicated Tyler Lockett did everything during Seattle's walk earlier on Wednesday, including catching passes without any issues, yet he's officially listed as a DNP on the practice report. So take from that what you will. <laughs> and we'll see exactly what kind of contributions Tyler Lockett can make when push comes to shove. But even if he's out there, I'd use him as a decoy uh, and force the Jets to at least respect him in the first quarter until they know you can't actually throw a pass to him. Uh, from the Jets and Seahawks game, the two familiar foes that'll renew acquaintances in the Vikings and Packers. Green Bay suddenly from the 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 depths of despair in the abyss sitting at four and eight, now with playoff probabilities better than 30% and you shop around the market right around plus $1.70, plus $1.80 uh, to get into the NFC tournament, you're looking at Green Bay. More than a field goal favorite here. Three and a half is pretty much painted. The consensus on this game is 48. We sound like a broken record when we talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Worst point differential plus five of any team with 12-plus wins through 15 games in NFL history. An NFL record, 11-0 and in one-score games. No greater illustration of that than relying on Greg Joseph to bang through a 61-yard field goal against the New York Giants last Last weekend, the Packers playoff path went out and have the Commanders lose one of their final two or the Giants lose out they can become the third team ever to start 4-8 or worse through the first 12 games and make the playoffs, joining the likes of the 2008 Chargers and the 2014 Carolina Panthers. When you look at Aaron Rodgers, much like we talked about Tom Brady early in the show, has only been swept by a divisional opponent once in his entire career when he actually started and finished both games. That came in 2009 versus Brett Favre's Minnesota Vikings. He did lose twice to the Lions in 2018, but he left early in the second quarter with a concussion in the 2018 regular season finale. When when you look at Aaron Rodgers overall though from a win-loss record the Vikings have kind of been his kryptonite 5-7-1 and one straight up the last 13 games Payne we know the Vikings have been the most polarizing team the general media wants to laud them for that gaudy record we know how professional bettors in the analytics community continues to view them in that particular lens when you look at the price here fair or foul with Green Bay more than a field goal favorite it's a good question
2: listen we we opened two and a half and we're now out to like 3.3 it's 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 not the public moving that game this early in the week so there has been some respected money on the Packers without without question and I thought I'd be making a case for Green Bay this week you know and and some of the things that we don't like to talk about right must win the Packers have won three in a row They've, they've Really figured things out, right? And Minnesota's overrated. To your point, that's been all the talk. And Minnesota's away from the dome, and it's a a non one o'clock start time for Kirk Cousins. He could Minnesota's melt like a pumpkin, not, right? I mean, Minnesota's not playing for a ton. And then I really dug into this game, and I've kind of cooled on the Packers now that we've we've gone above the three. And you just kind of look at the defenses Minnesota's played since week nine: Washington, Buffalo. Dallas, Belichick, the Jets, a Lions defense trending towards average, a Colts defense that hasn't given up clearly and they're still playing at a top 10 rate. And then the Giants, who... Aren't great, but schematically blitz and play man coverage behind it, that's a style of defense that has given Cousins some trouble over the years. And that's not what Minnesota's facing here against Green Bay. And the Packers are 29th in EPA per play allowed since week 10, giving up the most yards per play over that stretch. On the season, Green Bay's dead last in schedule-adjusted rush efficiency, dead last since week 10 in EPA per rush allowed. So Delvin Cook is going to be able to keep that offense balanced, maybe not have as much... You know, on Kirk Cousins' shoulders. And the other thing that we've incessantly talked about that is now picking up steam throughout the space the Packers play a ton of zone coverage with their defensive scheme, right? And and Green Bay lives in zone on nearly 75% of defensive snaps. Something Kirk Cousins has shown a tendency to eat up. They're coming off a four-game stretch, Minnesota, where they're playing nothing but top 10 man coverage rate defenses. So this is going to be a breath of fresh air here for Kirk Cousins seeing a zone defense. The other thing that we've started to see with the Packers is they're blitzing at enormously high rates, but they're not getting home. So if that continues to happen here, I mean, Kirk Cousins is going to have some success finding guys down the field. I also look at this recent winning streak by Green Bay and it feels kind of meh you know the the deeper you look right like you're trailing Chicago by two scores heading to the fourth quarter and you, you charge back like Congrats, right? You beat the Rams in freezing temps at Lambeau. You're trailing by double digits to the Dolphins, and Miami's going to make it a three-score game before half, and then Mozart fumbles, and Tua suffers a concussion. So I I really thought Green Bay would would, would make my dance card here, Todd, And, and to this point, the more I dig, the more I sour a little bit.
1: You know what's wild? When you look at full body of work, and we talk about the fluidity and how the betting market is supposed to be the ultimate model of efficiency, here comes the Minnesota Vikings sitting with the record, division champions already, Green Bay fighting for their playoff lives. The number before the season started on this game was Green Bay minus 6.5, and, and here we are with the Packers, a 3.5-point favorite when you look at the disparity in win-loss, and it just goes to show the level of sophistication and how much different things are. we in years past. These kind of records would have suggested a much shorter number, and you'd have the opportunities to lay a 2.5 in Green Bay in this kind of spot.
2: <laughs> Oh I'm aware of the number. Um and that's probably why I'm not charging to uh to take 3.3 here. That's uh that's one if you check your uh portfolio you'll see in there tonight. Um you, you, the other thing here is like you, you go back just like one week ago, you know, kind of picking up the point against the Dolphins it's not really the most impressive performance from Green Bay offensively, right? It's, it's three points on a negative nine-yard drive to start the game. It's a touchdown on 54 yards, a field goal on 21 yards, it's a field goal on four yards, a field goal on 56 yards. There's only one great Packers drive that goes 11 plays, 78 yards, and ends up in seven. And in terms of success rate, Green Bay finished the week below expectation against a below-average Dolphins defense. And I think the other thing that's kind of not being talked about here from a lot of the guys that are making case for the Packers, like the health of the Packers offense was really progressing and giving you some hope. And that's kind of gone awry like Aaron Jones is battling an ankle injury had like a 38% snap share last I don't week want to wasn't talk about, really I don't in want the game plan
1: I don't want to talk about Aaron Jones <laughs> last week okay Son but, of a bitch. but
2: the point is like it wasn't really in the game plan then re-injured it on the first carry of the second half and then Christian Watkins left the game early with the hip injury didn't return hasn't practiced yet this week um, you have other guys that are just finding themselves on the injury report right Aaron uh, Aaron Rodgers suddenly finds himself on the injury report with a knee injury, didn't practice on Wednesday. You can go find that film. It's a Christian Watkins sack. And, you know, he he is very, very ginger getting up with that knee injury. So those are some things that are really interesting to me. Now, if the Packers are healthy... And they take the right approach, which we saw the Giants smartly execute last week. That's that's the game plan. That's that's the right approach on how to attack Minnesota. And this suddenly becomes a pass-first Green Bay offense. You know you're going to have something here, but that just hasn't been the the mo of the Packers. They want to run it. They're twentieth in pass rate over expectation on early downs. It's even more slanted towards the run. I mean, if you want to exploit the Vikings defense, it's it's through the air. I mean, whether it's EPA success rate, schedule adjusted efficiency vikings are bottom third in the league defending the pass and that's in a season where you think about this in in the right context that's in a season where 33 year old patrick peterson is playing out of his mind having his third best season ever and minnesota still can't stop the pass now the positive is it looks like starting corner cam dantzler is back that's huge but that doesn't really negate the point that you want to attack Minnesota through the air. And you can kind of see, if you're looking at like underlying things, trying to figure out what these teams truly are, the Vikings are clearly searching for fixes late in the season, knowing that this is their their Achilles heel, that this can prevent them from making a, a playoff run. Their zone concepts weren't working, and now they're trying to implement high rates of man coverage. They're kind of grasping at, at straws here a little bit, Todd.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you look at Aaron Rodgers' paint, he's actually got a worse completion percentage, yards per attempt, and a touchdown-interception ratio during this win streak than he does for the entire body of work. You mentioned the injury to Christian Watson. How important is that? 7.5 yards per attempt with Christian Watson on the field this season for Rodgers. That number dips all the way to 6.3 with him off. You'd love to see Watson and Romeo Dobbs operate out there in conjunction and harmony with one another. There have only been 28 pass attempts with those two talented rookies out there. And if Aaron Jones is nicked up, we know A.J. Dillon is a little bit limited there. And I think so much of what you highlighted there, the Packers' success during this win streak has been attributed to the defense. Uh, But you said it perfectly. There's noise in those numbers. It's the Chicago Bears. It's the Los Angeles Rams in frigid temperatures and the Packers defensive numbers even last week against the Dolphins get inflated because the Dolphins don't muster a single point in the second half, which we now, of course, came as a byproduct of Tua being concussed, potentially leading to those interceptions. So I think there's a lot of noise in there. And while Green Bay becomes a very interesting story, obviously with star power getting into the playoffs, I think they move the needle significantly more than a team like the Washington Commanders. We may need to pump the brakes in terms of their ability to run away and hide from a Viking side that would most likely love nothing more than to keep them home for the holidays going forward. Last, but certainly not least, uh, Sunday night football and some interesting comments coming out of this game. Uh, when you look at Ravens players wondering why this game was even flexed to Sunday night football, but it's Baltimore a two and a half point home favorite total on the game 35. When you look at the Steelers, they are hanging on to their playoff hopes by a thread. A Miami Dolphins win earlier in the day would end those dreams in improbable fashion. This is a rivalry separated by one point during the Mike Tomlin era, six. And 96 to 695. It'll mark the 33rd meeting between Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh, the second most common head coaching matchup in NFL history. The Ravens won the previous meeting 16 to 14 as a two-point road underdog. They outrushed the Steelers in that game 215 to 65. Tyler Huntley finished 8 to 12, 88 yards. Lamar Jackson of course DNP. Kenny Pickett knocked out of that game in the first quarter with a concussion and it was a Mitchell Trubisky moving the Steelers up and down the field, just done in by three interceptions, all coming in plus territory. The Ravens and Steelers pain come into this game having the top two total defenses since week nine. Steelers number one in that department since TJ Watt returned, allowing 17 points per game and less than 275 yards per contest. Meanwhile, the Ravens number two over the last seven games since the Roquan Smith trade, allowing 12.7 points per game and 284 yards per contest. When you look at the Ravens, six and one of the under the last seven, the Steelers seven and three ATS over the last 10 games. We've already seen dog money. We've already seen under money which is the most compelling matchup for you to watch sunday night
2: <laughs> you've you've never really seen groups uh, run to go under 36 and a half but that's what uh, transpired here and it makes your your opening all the more uh, succinct i think what's what's really you know interesting in this game it's it's very straightforward right and i think partly what we've seen is the two offenses that are they're that trending in different directions metrically and that's that's why the dog money's come in and you kind of just look first 9 weeks Baltimore's fourth in offensive efficiency since the buy for Baltimore in, in week 10 the ravens are 23rd in schedule adjusted offensive efficiency they're really playing like a a middling team pittsburgh the complete opposite 24th in offensive efficiency pre-buy 11th post-buy and you had Baltimore clinch a playoff berth last week. Certainly the the five seed is valuable in the AFC because you're rather, you know, go to Jacksonville or Tennessee as opposed to, to dip into the sixth seed and, and go into Cincinnati, Kansas City or Buffalo, however that shakes out atop the AFC. I, there aren't going to be many points scored, obviously, with with Chris now at 34 and a half, and every yard's valuable. And there's there's nothing wrong with a few first downs and a punt that flips field position. And that's ultimately what transpired in that first meeting in Pittsburgh. Right. I mean, Baltimore was a net 17 percent and rushing success rate. So it just depicts like being better on both uh, lines of scrimmages since the acquisition of Roquan Smith, Baltimore's number one in schedule adjusted run defense. Opposing teams running game is is basically operating at thirty-eight percent below expectation on average since week nine. That's that's what Roquan Smith's done for that Baltimore defense. But the number two run defense over that same time frame is actually Pittsburgh. But schematically, they just got beat up a little bit uh, against Baltimore. Now you're getting Tyler Huntley again. You've seen what that looks like. You saw a little glimpse of him last year in that game as well. This is now your third matchup against him. And you kind of can tell that he's he's pretty limited as a passer. And, you know, some guys are dinged up as as pass catchers uh, for, for Baltimore again this week. I, I think this ultimately comes down to which of the quarterbacks, right, Pickett or Huntley, is going to provide some level of, of balance, right? Come up with that one rhythm drive through the air, and you just look at the difference in weapons. You would think that that advantage would would go to Pickett, right? We we certainly saw oh, Mitchell Trubisky you, again, have
1: talking poorly about the caliber of Baltimore's wide receivers, guys that I wouldn't want to play <laughs> on a flag football team unless my life depended on it.
2: <laughs> you, you you've seen right, like. Mitchell Trubisky you referenced it right had the had the three interception performance but he was he was damn good throughout the course of that game but basically what you're looking at here is metrically quarterback 31 in EPA plus completion percentage over expectation among 56 quarterbacks this season with at least 100 dropbacks in in Kenny Pickett and then you have Tyler Huntley 32nd so i mean just you remove the interceptions from, from Mitch in the first meeting. It's it's tough to do that, but obviously they changed the game. He was fantastic on virtually every other throw, right? I mean, quarterback seven in week 14 in EPA plus completion percentage over expectation for Mitch Trubisky with the three interceptions incorporated in. So Pickett is going to have some opportunities through the air. Marcus Peters is dealing with the calf injury still. I'm just not quite sure what, what, what Pickett is you look at the scoreboard last week, he was obviously a disaster and it gets camouflaged because of the game winning drive. But then I went back and looked a little bit. He wasn't completely horrific, but you would have liked him to perform a little bit better against the worst passing defense of the Raiders in the NFL. It was kind of alarming to me. I thought he'd have more success there and he just didn't, but he's going to have some opportunities here because I'm just not sure how that ground game is going to go. But again, like one thing about a game like this, and, and to your point, I'm not quite sure why it was flexed to Sunday night. It's obviously a rivalry game. Pittsburgh still has an outside shot at the playoffs. They're they're playing for another winning season. The matchups in this game aren't really fun to talk about. They're very much like ABC, one, two, three, paint by number. Like who's the bigger man, right? That that's very much what this game is. Like who, who's who's going to come out of the alley? But you know, pro betters knew Lamar wasn't going to play, so the number basically was grabbed in anything three and a half or better and to me when you look at this total again at 34 and a half and you're down to two and a half like Pittsburgh makes one of the best teaser legs this season
1: when do we see Lamar again do we see him week 18 or are the Ravens just going to hold him out into the playoffs now knowing that they clinched a berth in the AFC playoffs
2: I think you'd like him to at least build up a lather right I mean going into the playoffs without him playing and what would be what four or five weeks, you'd at least like to get him into a rhythm, get him through the game day routine. If he's healthy enough to be out there, and as I referenced, that fifth seed is actually quite valuable because you know, you'd much rather go on the road against against Jacksonville or the Titans as opposed to, to going into Buffalo, Cincinnati, or, or Kansas City. I, I think you could potentially see him out there, but you'll know this week. Right. I mean, that was the one thing they opened this line this week with Lamar might have a chance to play.
1: We've heard he that wasn't out there at all row.
2: last week. Yeah. I mean, he has not thrown a pass. He has not been at practice. Like he's just not doing anything. And so the immediate consensus was as soon as Wednesday comes in the practice, we, we were pretty dialed in there. Their practice on Wednesday started at one ten exactly. And as soon as he wasn't out there, <laughs> it was like, Hey, this is probably the chance to, to, to jump at Pittsburgh. And, and as soon as that got announced, right? Like don't see Lamar out here. We, we saw this market go from, you know, three down to two and a half. But everyone who was smart enough to anticipate grabbed grabbed three and a half or better here, and that's that's ultimately what you've seen. So I think now at this point, not saying Pittsburgh can't cover the two and a half. We've seen all these games be very very competitive, especially recently between the Steelers and Ravens. But again, with this total at thirty four and a half and. And uh, the ability to get this through the three and the seven make a, makes a world of sense for, for the Steelers to be included in virtually um, any teaser you're playing this week.
1: Yeah, so wild when you look at some of Baltimore's struggles offensively. I mean, NFL low 11 and points per game in the four games since week 13 when Lamar Jackson left uh, with injury second worst red zone offense at 39% since week 14, or since week four. I mean, when they're scoring as far as touchdowns, 17 touchdowns on 44 red zone drives is a little bit of history on the line for the Ravens here. They've gone 14 consecutive games in which they've outrushed their opponent, marking the longest such streak in team history. It's also the league's longest streak since the 2015-16 Panthers outrushed their opponents in 15 straight contests. But yep, if you're looking for high-flying offense, you're looking for big-time fantasy performances, you may want to avert your eyes on New Year's Day, <laughs> Sunday night, watching the Baltimore Ravens take on the Pittsburgh Steelers.
2: We'll also have to keep you know an eye on Deshaun Jackson, and I know the guy's forty eight years old, but he still has enough speed to to stretch a defense and and create some space for your ground game. Um, he's he's dealing with a little bit of an illness here, but you know what's shocking to me is we're talking about the lack of weapons that Baltimore has, but somehow. You know, we kind of gravitate back towards Greg Roman and just his inability to do things the right way. It's like, why are we not seeing two tight end packages? Like, why is likely not on this the field? at the same time as Andrews. Like, likely is one of your better weapons. It's just we haven't designed enough packages for for Andrews and likely to be on the field at the same time, and, and maybe that would enhance your offensive efficiency in terms of throwing the ball a little bit. You know, I, I just we haven't seen it.
1: Well, especially given the struggles we've seen from Mark Andrews. I mean, he's looked like a shell of himself. Eight catches total over his last three games. Some of that, of course, is because Tyler Huntley's the one throwing him passes, but hasn't had a 50-yard receiving game during that stretch either. It's and like I, really the only guy you have to game plan for, right? Well, because exactly. there isn't any imagination. Yep. (laughs) Take him out of the mix and suddenly Baltimore is going to some secondary options to try and move the football through the air. You can follow Payne on Twitter at Payne Insider. I'm Todd Furman. You, of course, can follow me there as always. And most importantly, follow the podcast at BetTheBoardPod. A great, extensive college bowl podcast we dropped on Wednesday covering all six New Year's Six bowl games in great detail. Brad Powers brought his A-game as he always does. The best bet there for one of the biggest bowl games of the postseason. And if you're looking for a way to pass some time during the holiday season in between bowl games, encourage you to check out Cardboard Chat. Uh, Payne does an outstanding job hosting Jesse Craig, uh, minority owner of PWCC Marketplace, talking about investing in the card space and some of the secondary options that you have available there. So I want you to explore and identify all aspects of the Bet the Board catalog. All right, my good man. Final order of business. It is the last best bet for 2022. Where have you found an actionable element for us above and beyond the extensive breakdowns we've provided here for Sunday's action?
2: It's a really difficult card to navigate and and obviously can't go any worse than last week where the the Broncos just simply did not show up. We, well, were, we were looking to extend that streak to, to three straight. One thing
1: I will say, if we've learned anything from best bets when they go awry, the NFL takes notice because the Tennessee Titans laid an egg against the Eagles. Their general manager lost his job, and Nathaniel Hackett <laughs> lays an egg against the Rams. Bet the board listeners, hey, look, we, we got we got your backs. Nathaniel Hackett now out of work as well.
2: <laughs> so, we've talked a little bit about some of the games, right? We, we've we've mulled some of them. I'm not quite sure where the market goes on these, but But like, you know, Tampa obviously shows some value there. I don't think the Dolphins stick it at three. And, you know, obviously there's been some talks about Jared Stidham knowing the Raiders offense better than anyone in that building. And now that we're we're at 10, I'm I'm sure they're going to take a little bit, a little bit of money here with San Francisco. Yes. Not really playing for a ton. So like those those games are probably all going to move in, in the direction that we've we've outlined them in. The other one we I think we debated was was Houston a little bit, but that took money as we are recording down from from five and a half to four. So, you know, I think maybe we navigate this in, in the direction that we've kind of broken these games down and, and maybe go with a two-team six-point teaser here. I, I, I really believe Pittsburgh is one of the best teaser legs of the season, right, with that total at 34 and a half. Being able to get it back through the three and the seven and, and pair it with a a Seahawks team at home. It's going to have a raucous crowd again, shop around there that lines between, you know, two and one and a half. You can get the, the Seahawks as that second leg to to plus seven and a half or, or plus eight some places. So let's go with that two team teaser as the best bet this week with, uh, with the Steelers to Seahawks,
1: yeah, it's all about navigating the board and being able to take advantage of what's out there. We obviously want to put the listeners in the best spot to beat the market. We did so with the Broncos, even if the result wasn't there. You love laying a dollar forty, dollar forty-five, watching game close a dollar seventy-five, uh, just. Players didn't get the memo, and we'll see what we can do this week. Obviously, so many playoff races worth watching. I think a lot of these games will be tightly contested, and we'll see how the market ends up jocking around a lot of these key numbers. Do you have any uh, invaluable New Year's Eve advice for uh, a lot of the folks that may be just turning of age at 21, some of the uh, listeners that may be in their teens going out partying on college campuses? I mean, you are a bastion uh, of life advice for some of our younger listenership. Yeah, I don't. I don't really party anymore. But I would. uh, Well, yeah, you're past your prime. The whole event is is pretty
2: much a sham. So I would. I would save your money and invest in, in wiser things. Look, that would be my, look at my that. rule of thumb Look, here look for at New that years.
1: bitter old man. Get off my lawn. Don't do anything crazy on New Year's Eve. Stay home. Make sure you're of sound mind and body to make sure that you're Well, I mean, you can do things, right? I mean, have a little
2: house, like a house party, get all your closest friends together, right? The idea of, of being like Todd Furman in his prime and going to spend 3X on bottle service doesn't <laughs> make a, a world hey, of sense. Let,
1: let it be known that I never spent 3X on New Year's Eve. Most of those bottles were comped and it made it extremely... <laughs> extremely difficult for me to get behind the counter at Caesars for the bevy of New Year's Day games that kicked off at 7 a.m. I would typically finish mine at about 4:35, look to shower somewhere it didn't matter where throw the suit on uh, and make sure that I was ready to go for a full day of work I of course don't have that gear and knowing how early games start out here on the west coast there's a good chance I'll be falling asleep midway through the fourth quarter unless Georgia and Ohio State are in for a barn burner
2: when you get old and this is what I will say in the last last thing before we get out of here. And you actually look back on the money that was spent on liquor and going out. I am like Jesus. I If I would have, you know, Ugh. put that money towards a stock, put that money towards a couple sports cards. Um, 20, 40. 50X. And so I, I look at it from that perspective now. Uh, and so if I can bestow that wisdom upon the youth, yeah. uh, I, would, well, I would certainly go that
1: direction. You can spin it one way. I'll spin it another way. That's why you're the one that's in a little better position financially than I am. You can't take it with you when you go. And sometimes those nights where you spent way too much money on overpriced <laughs> alcohol leads to some of the best memories that are out there, as Payne can attest to from his time in Nashville. But that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> Best of luck to all of you, our loyal listeners where, with whatever or wherever your investments take you both on the college and pro side for the final weekend of football in calendar year 2022. We'll be back with you next week. No Monday podcast, by the way, Payne, because we won't have look headlines or anything. What do we decide for uh, Monday for week 18?
2: Oh, um, so this is NFL week 17. I thought we would be back. Oh, you know what we do? We got Bill's. Hold on. We got Bill's. We'll Bengals, be baby. Back. That's yeah, like the biggest Monday night game we'll of the, the season. Yeah, yeah. That, we wouldn't have been doing justice. It might be a little condensed. Yeah, might be a little condensed with your point to, to no-look headlines, so that segment might go awry, but that, that'll that'll go away. But, I mean, Bill's Bangles, got to break that down. Yeah, we'll
1: probably do Bill's Unless you I, plan on parting. No, and not getting not I don't, plan, I don't plan on parting. My, my goal is kicking this cold and flu bug or whatever the hell I have going on here. But it's a good point. I completely forgot Bill's Bangles. If it was Titans and Cowboys uh, on Monday night, we definitely would have taken the show off. But we'll be back for the biggest Monday night football game of the entire season season. Again, best of luck. Stay safe. Make good choices out there. Most importantly, When it comes to Sunday of NFL Week 17 with the teaser ticket in hand, we'll see you at the window. Thanks for listening to Bet the Board. You can catch Todd and Payne every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday during football season, breaking down the biggest NFL and college football games. And to make sure you don't miss any free best bets, subscribe to Bet the Board on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.